The VPM Daily Newscast is sponsored by Kanawa Capital Management. Your financial life is unique, complex, and dynamic. Kanawa Capital Management's team of credentialed professionals has been helping its clients build wealth and confidence through personalized planning and informed investing since 1989. Learn more at cancap.com. That's K-A-N-C-A-P.com. You're listening to the VPM Daily Newscast, the recap of today's top stories in Central Virginia. From the VPM Newsroom in Richmond, I'm Whitney Evans. This fall, VPM News aired a special series that dives into how Richmond's neighborhoods promote or hinder residents' well-being. At its core, Healthy City asks, how easy is it for people living in Richmond to get what they need? In part one, we begin with public transportation. The advocacy group RVA Rapid Transit released a report this year outlining the state of public transit in Richmond and several recommendations for improving the service. The report noted that only 26 percent of bus stops in the city have a bench or shelter. The Greater Richmond Transit Company, GRTC, says it plans to at least double that number over the next few years. Transit advocates say keeping in place the pandemic-era free fare bus rides will also help ensure transit is efficient and equitable. Transportation reporter Ian Stewart caught up with some riders who talked about their experiences. My name is Debbie Johnson. All my life I've been riding the bus. I'm heading right downtown to um, Jefferson and um, uh, Broad and get on down to Lee Street where we just moved. Bus drivers are getting kind of, uh, you know, out of out of our character. They leave people at the bus stop. Like the lady just pulled up. We was right there at bus stop 50. She was stopped right there at the red light. When she saw us with our grocery cart, she didn't open the door. She just pulled off. The noise doesn't bother me unless I'm on the phone. This is a noisy area anyway. This is a high traffic area. But, and as always, they always speed. I got on the bus the other day, a bed bug just bit the devil out of me. You can smell the dirt on the seats, are filthy. Yeah. They must not have anybody to clean the buses. Thomas Alleman. I used to bike around a lot because one, you know, I didn't, I didn't need to. But I got a, an injury and then I had to ride the bus and I was glad it was free. Because I always tell them, I go, I don't think I'd pay for your service all the time. It's sometimes off, there are stops that are A and B. You know, we're the on-the-ground people who ride the bus, and the people who don't, don't understand it. You know, it's, I always say you got to build a system from the ground up. Like, people with handicap really have a hard time getting from A to B. And if, put yourself in a wheelchair and ride the bus and see how much, how, it, how effective it is. That's, that's what I look at, you know. I really hope they keep it free. That's a big deal to people who ride the bus, and it, it really makes it easier for everybody. I, I didn't ride it only because I was like, well, it's, it's expensive. It gets expensive really quick. And now I feel like I can go anywhere in the city. It's kind of nice, it really is nice. Melissa Pryor, coming from work, but I'm heading back home, Northside. I just sit there and look at the news and wait till it's time for me to go out at 6.25. Go to the grocery store, um, and doctor's appointments. I love riding a bus until they stop 
we gotta pay again. <laughs> it's, it's real helpful. You know, I don't have to rely on paying nobody to, you know, take me where I gotta go. I can just get on the bus for free. I know everything is fine. I mean, I get where I gotta go from point A to point B, and I'm, I'm loving it. All right, thank you. Civil engineer Veronica O'Davis recently released a book called Inclusive Transportation, a manifesto for repairing divided communities. These divisions are largely through black and brown communities, which were carved up when the federal government built the interstate highway system in the 1950s, the same way I-95 divided Richmond's Jackson Ward. Ian Stewart spoke with Davis about her book. Veronica Davis, thanks for talking to me today about your book. You have a personal connection with a community being torn apart for highway construction. Can you tell me about that? Part of what I share about in my book is my family's story. My mother's from East Baton Rouge. And when she was in high school, my grandparents' house, the house that she grew up, was taken in order to build what is now I-10. For me as a child, I used to go visit my great-grandmother. She lived on the same block, and her house was not taken. I went to her house underneath the highway. But it just goes to show that these divided highways, it can feel so far away, but we're really not that far removed. My mom is still very much in her right mind and remembers the whole process, as well as her high school being torn down for I-10. And so I share a lot of that in my book to say, I'm not that far removed from these things that happen. You break down thoughts around the theme and slogan of war on cars. Should there be a war on cars? I think cars have their place. If you look at each individual and you can understand why they take a car, it's because there is no other alternatives in some cases, particularly for people who may live in a rural area or suburban area. I don't have any other options. Or two, the other options aren't reliable or don't get me to where I need to go. And so I think that the more we can provide multiple options for people, you will see that people will start making different decisions. And that may not be an everyday thing. It may be, oh, you know what? I'll go ahead. I don't have to drop the kid off at daycare, so I may take the bus today. Or I don't need to do this, so I may bike today. But the problem is, is that when you don't give people options, then they are going to choose a car. And if we continue to widen our transportation, you know, highways and all of that, then there's really no incentive for me not to drive because I was in traffic and now I'm not in traffic anymore. And just I just want to mention a couple of messages that I loved in your book. One of them was there should be a mutual understanding and respect that we are all sharing the same space on the roads. Absolutely. Yeah. And just a little teaser. I opened my book with this. I shared one of my favorite shows was The Good Place. And so it was all about, you know, what we owe each other. It comes up. And the problem is within the United States of American context is there is an erosion of a mutual understanding that we are all going to abide by the rules while we are in this shared space. And when you look at the traffic fatalities, when you look at serious injuries, it's easy to blame the infrastructure. And don't get me wrong, the infrastructure is absolutely overbuilt in almost every city, urban area, suburban area. It is overbuilt. However, there's also a behavioral piece that really needs to be tackled. And it's not just distracted driving. It's not just uh, drunk driving. It is just a, a almost a lawlessness um, that is happening on the roads where people are just, I mean, I see it all the time on videos. People are just running the lights. And I don't know how you heal that. Uh, that is beyond my understanding. Maybe I'll go back and get a degree in psychology or something or sociology. We just have to tackle the behavior. It is just an erosion of that social contract 
that as we exist in this space, that you're going to stop at the red light and I'm going to stop at a red light. And when we don't do that, that's how people die. Well, Veronica O. Davis, I want to thank you again for talking to me today. It's been a real pleasure. And I hope I get to talk to you again. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Southside Richmond residents have been vocal about what they need to make their neighborhoods safer, healthier, and more livable. But many of those needs continue to go unmet. VPM News explores why. Between sips of coffee, outgoing Richmond City Councilman Mike Jones recalls a ribbon-cutting ceremony he attended in March for the opening of this Starbucks on Chippenham Parkway and Hull Street. A ribbon-cutting for a Starbucks might have people in Carytown scratching their heads, but Jones says it's a pretty big deal. This is the first coffee shop that I could sit in and have a cup of coffee in my district, save McDonald's. Jones says it took four years of work between the city's Department of Economic Development and the Straylitz family that owns Haynes Furniture, an arrangement that he says doesn't come often or easily in the 9th District. When I first came on council, I did a tour with President of Richmond Association of Realtors and another developer. And the developer, he's like, Mike, I can't bring anything here unless some things change. The neighborhood needed to be safer and cleaner. Meanwhile, Southside residents like Christine Gibson looked on as much-needed grocery stores, banks, and green spaces popped up in other areas of the city. I live in Richmond, Southside, on Wimber Drive. VPM News spoke to Gibson at the polls earlier this month. She was looking forward to what the Richmond Grand Resort and Casino promised, food and entertainment, jobs, and a 55-acre park. On Southside, you want to go to a restaurant, you got to drive out and go, we don't really have any place else, and this will have 15 under one roof. In the 8th District at Davie Gardens, Southside Relief, an environmental justice group, recently planted some trees. But co-founder Amy Wentz points to standing water along the sidewalk. They were promised a stormwater and drainage fix uh, like 30 years ago. Wentz and co-founder Cherie Shannon often spend time with the neighbors there. People are tired, and the things that they've been advocating for, the things that they've been promised, haven't been delivered. Looking at citywide data, Shannon says they notice Southside has lagged in just about every measured category. There's higher concentrations of poverty. We have higher rates of chronic illnesses, such as asthma. We also have lower home ownership. And on top of that, not everyone lives within a 10-minute walk to a park or a playground, which is something that the city says that they want every resident to do. Shannon says the city should invest in community infrastructure in areas that need it most. Some of Southside has gotten more attention from the city in recent years. There have been improvements to major corridors in Jones 9th District, new schools and housing developments. But Wynn says the 8th District isn't getting enough of the pie. She wanted to help change that. In 2020, Wentz challenged longtime 8th District Councilwoman Reva Trammell, who's represented the district for more than two decades. Areas with the greater need should be given priority over areas that, that don't have it. And so it takes somebody to say, we've invested in this part of town probably more than enough. VPM reached out to Trammell by email and phone to talk about the status of maintenance projects and future economic development plans. But Trammell declined an interview. She said by text that she was disappointed that voters rejected the casino. Wentz says the city needs more revenue, but there's been a lack of just investing the money that we do have in these areas for a long time. Show me. I've done six budgets. It's not there. Jones, who's leaving City Hall next year to represent Southside in the Virginia House of Delegates, 
says developing Southside is a business decision, and right now, much of Southside is bad business. And he doubts a deal like the casino will come around again in his lifetime. Local businesses benefit the neighborhoods they're in, serving residents' specific needs and acting as local landmarks. But in Richmond, local businesses are less likely to be owned by Black residents. Connor Scribner reports on challenges facing entrepreneurs. Devin Chester runs Brooks Stitch and Fold, a full-service laundry company in Highland Springs. Chester, whose background is in architectural engineering with the military, says he purchased a former Fan District laundromat in 2015 because he wanted control of his life. I relocated to Virginia initially uh, back in 08. Wanted to get off the road and just kind of do my own thing again. And while he says owning his own business may give him control, it doesn't give him ownership of his time. You find yourself wearing multiple hats, and it's best to make sure that you love what you're doing because, I I mean, 24-hour workday is pretty much what you're doing. Chester says one thing he likes best about owning his own business is his ability to give back. He's partnered with local organizations, including Caritas and Home Again. Small businesses across the country share Chester's commitment to service, says Willow Longamom. She's a professor at the University of Maryland who runs the Small Business Anti-Displacement Network and says money spent at locally owned businesses is more likely to stay within their community. We also get other kinds of external benefits like the likelihood of these businesses contributing to local organizations and schools and charities and other kinds of things that help to sustain those neighborhoods. But in Richmond, those benefits aren't spread evenly. While nearly 30% of people living in the Richmond area are black, according to Census Bureau data, black people own only about 20% of the region's businesses. And those businesses tend to be smaller. Among area companies that employ at least one person, only about 7% are black-owned. So what's preventing black Richmonders from starting thriving businesses? The numbers suggest structural barriers, especially when it comes to financing. Chester says he had a hard time accessing the funds to get started. It's sad to say, but I mean, they almost want you to be established before they want to lend to you. Black entrepreneurs in the United States tend to start their businesses with less capital than their white counterparts, about one-third as much according to research from J.P. Morgan Chase. That makes it more difficult to access financing. Melody Short co-founded the local nonprofit JWC Foundation, formerly known as the Jackson Ward Collective. While she left the organization in May, she says many of the entrepreneurs she worked with there face similar challenges. Short adds that even when owners do have access to resources, they're often still turned aside. So I'm thinking about one local business in particular that uh, needed a loan and was denied by multiple financial institutions. The company had more assets and recurring income than the bank asked for, Short says, but that wasn't enough. And so one can only think that they were denied because it's a Black-owned business. Multiple studies have found that banks continue to discriminate against Black loan applicants and charge higher interest rates to businesses in majority Black neighborhoods. Short says she encourages entrepreneurs struggling with financing to look outside big banks into community development financial institutions, some of which run funds that lend specifically to entrepreneurs of color, including to help them buy property. That's key, she says, for building long-term stability in majority Black neighborhoods. We have a history of paying rent to non-Black property owners, and so we want to shift that narrative so that we are not only business owners, but we are also commercial real estate owners as well. She points to Richmond's Jackson Ward neighborhood, which became a hub for Black business during segregation with six locally owned banks. 
Formerly known as Black Wall Street, Short says the neighborhood's success proves the power of local financial control. Connor Scribner, VPM News. The Healthy City series was written by VPM News and VPM News Focal Point. It was edited by me, Whitney Evans, and Connor Scribner. Additional editing by Dave Cantor, Megan Moore, Megan Polly, and Dontea M. Price Lisko. Some of these stories may have changed since the newscast was recorded. You can stay connected to what matters by heading to vpm.org slash news or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MyVPM. VPM. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.